Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Season 7, Episode 3 of Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host, Professor Jeremy Vilmer. And joining us now, the man who thinks he's Ric Flair, Bobby Blaze. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit all stoved up to be Ric Flair. I feel like I've been in a plane crash there, Jeremy. <laughs> Woo! Uh, I'll be able to kick out, baby. I'll kick out on two. Because, oh, uh, you know, we ended the show last week. It was like we was going through a plane crash with this Internet uh, system I've got out here in, in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, you know. And it's about as cold as a whore's heart out here today. And I'll tell you, I can feel it, man, in my bones. It's a hurting but we're going to get through it as long as this Internet holds up. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how the state as large as yours still tries to run their Internet service on, a, you know, tin cans and string. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And I see, you know, sometimes when I'm having to log back on and off, you know, connecting, there's a lot of people in this area that have Windstream and Spectrum. That's the only two. And I, I hear the people bitching about Spectrum as much as I do Windstream. And that's that's our choices right now. And uh, I've been with this company for a while. I'm sticking with them as far as I know. I get a good, you know, I get a good price when it's up and running. Yeah. So, well, you uh, know, and it's like the thing is, so you know, here in Modesto, we're we're an hour from San Francisco, an hour from Sacramento. There's not a lot of. I mean, there's we're damn near as flat as anything you can imagine. Not quite as bad as Oklahoma, but headed that way. We don't get snow here. So, really, I don't have any of the issues that people in the Virginias and, you know, there in yeah. Kentucky run into. Um, yeah. But I do know when I talk to other people from outside of um, this area here or, like, a major capital city in another state, your your story isn't that different than anybody else's I've heard. Like, I've even talked to, like, Nate uh, from Wideman and his Internet shit as well, you know? Yeah, I don't know what he uses up there. I think he used Suddenlink. That's out West Virginia, Charleston area. He probably gets uh he probably gets sudden link. Yeah, it could I see be commercial all the time. So, um, and yeah, I imagine it's the same. He's he's back in the hills there because he's outside Charleston. So, um, I don't know, man. Hey, it's just good to be here. Fuck, let's celebrate, man. Yeah. We got some birthdays. Um, I was gonna throw some birthdays at you. My brother said, hey. Uh, Tell Jeremy he is right. And I was like, right. Uh, he's a professor. He's always fucking right. What are you talking about? He said he was writing about um, Betty White being older than sliced bread, man. And today's her birthday. She's 99 years old, man. Holy smokes. Uh, yes. Happy birthday, Betty White. I wanted to uh, put that out there to you. Um, I don't know how sliced bread is, but we know Betty White's 99. Yeah. And then I had a couple more I was going to throw out at you that I think you would appreciate on these birthdays. Probably one of your favorites, most iconic voices of all time, if not the most famous, uh, turned 90 today, James Earl Jones. Oh, yes. Um, a great voice, but also a great voice attached to some great uh, genre characters. You know, the voice of Darth Vader. Uh, and, you know, we just lost the physical body of Darth Vader a few <laughs> weeks ago in David Prowse. And, um, you know, he played Thulsa Doom in Conan the Barbarian, and he gives this just blood-curdling speech where he's like, you know, now now we'll show them mm-hmm. why they fear the night. Now we'll show them why they're afraid of the dark. And I fucking love that scene, because I think that's where he shoots, yeah. the, uh, shoots the snake on the bow. Yeah, there you go. Good. Yeah. Good recall on that. Yeah. Uh, a couple people that's no longer with us, but I think, well, I, I'm sorry, Michelle Obama's with us still. Yep. It's her birthday. But I had two that I thought that were iconic. Uh, one being Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time. 
And the other being, I thought you'd appreciate this one, Eartha Kitt. Wow. You call her. Yeah. There you go, man. Right on. Damn. You yeah. busy later on? All <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. right. No, so anyway, that's just some birthdays for um, uh, January the 17th. When we're recording this. When you get this on Tuesday, uh, it'll be someone else's birthday by then. Yeah. But uh, anyway, thought we'd bring that up. Just kind of. Um, oh, and, and you told me this, and I just see this. Um, uh, I don't know how you feel about it. We talked off air for a brief moment there. Uh, Phil Spector passed away today. Um, I don't even know how old he was, but I had to check to see that because you, you said, yeah, he, he did pass away in prison. We was talking about what a nutty fucking character he was. Um, everyone talks about iconic uh, music producer for sure, but he, he must have just been a really fucking nutty. I said to you, uh, he pulled a gun on the Ramones, and you came back with the Ronnie Spector. What he kept her in a closet for a year, he said. Yeah, uh, so, I guess she outlived him. Um, yeah, well, he uh, he murdered that girl, fucking shot her well, right yeah, in the face. Yeah, uh, like, I can't think of her name right now, but um, yeah, um, I saw it earlier too, and we should have remembered her name. But, but uh, everyone's talking about him being the. So some people put her picture up there, you know. On yeah, the that's media's um, the the young lady. It was. Uh, that he killed, but um, yeah, uh, let's see here. Let's see. I might have her name right here. Actually, actually, he was 81, and the girl's name was. I know people out there saying Bobby. I know it. I know it. And I will look at it real quick here. Um, Lana Clarkson. Yeah. Lana okay. Clarkson was her name. So um, he was known for waving guns in people's faces. Yeah. But he, you know, and he, he looked like the kind of guy the first time he would have pulled a gun on somebody, somebody should have beat him to death because. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it looks like he kind of was beat to death. Yeah, it does. It does kind of. Um, <laughs> rough looking. Yeah. So so COVID uh, killed Phil Spector. Okay. Did you know I, I've been keeping track of a couple deaths? Now, I'm, I'm not a person who believes in karma or reincarnation or the afterlife for that matter. But sometimes okay. I, I I do like to see where it just looks like happenstance and fate just bit slap somebody out of nowhere. So Phil mm-hmm. Spector died of COVID nineteen. <clears throat> Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper, died of COVID nineteen. And um, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of it. Back in the seventies, there was a guy who murdered like thirty kids in Houston. He had two teenage accomplices, one of which ended up shooting him to death. But one of the other accomplice died of COVID nineteen here recently as well. So um, you know, uh, you know, for as much shit as you've caused COVID nineteen, I got to give you a couple pats <laughs> on the back here. Well, I'm a kind of a karma guy. I think you know you got to put it out there when it comes back to you. You know, so I try to put the good karma out there whenever I can, man. You know. Uh, well, yeah, I'm not I saying hit that lottery. So I'll yeah, if I, if I get, I'm not if saying I go be a dick. Yeah, girl, you know, here's the money, honey. I yeah. want that karma. You know, I want good karma. Yeah. But, uh, fuck, yeah. Talk about all these, uh, we might as well get back into the, uh, uh, episode way back when I was talking about the, uh, uh, fuck, kill, marry the, uh, serial killers I had in mind. I have to reapproach that there again. Uh, but anyway, oh, I know Jesus. the wise men can't jump. Uh, uh, Tim likes to ask me those, uh, uh fuck, Mary FKM, kills. Yeah. you know. Yeah, he'll throw out some doozies sometimes, you know, but uh, it's pretty fun to talk about, I guess. I guess you could still say that stuff. I don't know. Fuck, someone someone sent me something about that song Chuck Berry sang about my ding-a-ling. He said, that thing would be barred or banned now. And he goes, but you can talk about rape murder in your songs on the radio, but you probably couldn't sing about my ding-a-ling, you know. And I said, yeah. I said, I think you're right, man. Probably right. Um, 
no. some of the stuff you can get by with. So you I don't know. know yeah, it's, it's weird American. the stuff. Yeah, it's weird the stuff that gets censored. And you know what? I do it to myself sometimes, like where I'm talking. And I'll think, you know, fuck, should I even say that? And then the next sentence out of my mouth is some horrific thing that, you know, is going to offend everybody. And I didn't even pause, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know what? We got to pick up. We left off last week. We went with um, uh, J.J. Dinner. J.J. Dinner. Damn, I'm not even yeah. hungry. J.J. Dillon uh, introduced us to the term trying to say in the territory of course was uh jcp and the carolinas basically and the star this week is uh, as we talked about last week was rick flair and that's who we'll be discussing on this week's episode um hopefully the internet stays up uh better than the plane that he crashed in did uh yeah we'll start there i think is what we talked about yeah uh, tell well. us about the, the date uh when that took place and and who was on board was kind of brief over that and i swear to you last week we was going off the air it sounded like in my headphones we was just going through like uh, uh just a bunch of brush and trees and stuff i was getting all this weird static and i'm like jeremy you there and finally it was just clicked off and i like I texted you right away. I said, sound like we ended in a fucking plane crash. Yeah. But LOL, you know, well, it really did on my end. It yeah. Oh, I got a, I got a couple yeah. comments from people too. They're like, way to go out last week. And I'm like, well, couldn't have chosen a better time, I guess, <laughs> you know, exactly. That's, I thought you'd planned it. And I was like, yeah, no, um, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. All well, right. So, so the Rick date Flair was away from the plane crash. Yeah. The date was October 4th, 1975. Uh, Flair was flying with, um, let's see, I, I don't have the pilot's name in front of me. Johnny Valentine was on, on this flight, yep. Mr. Wrestling, Bob Bruggers, and, uh, David Crockett. Um, David not, Crockett. Yeah, not, not the one from the Alamo. But, uh, you know, Johnny Valentine right. was, no, no. yeah, Johnny Valentine was paralyzed in this. Uh, the pilot was killed, and everybody else came mm -hmm. out pretty bad, and, uh, you know, Ric Flair's spine was broken in three places. And he was told mm -hmm. he would never be able to wrestle again. Ha ha. So, you know, uh, uh, he didn't mm -hmm. listen to that shit for a minute, apparently, because That's right. Uh, eight months later, um, a very different Ric Flair came back to wrestling. Yes. Man, in his book, he stated that um, the, the office was giving him a check for like $200 a week at that time. That's all he was getting. And he'd go by, I think, one on Tuesdays, whatever day. And um, as we discussed, I think uh, George Scott was booking then, we mm -hmm. talked about, and he had a back brace on. Flair did when he went to the office on one of those Tuesdays. I don't know if he went every Tuesday or every couple of weeks, I think. But anyway, he had went a few weeks. I don't think he'd been in a brace, maybe four or six weeks, something like that. And George said, um, he said, what, what, what are you thinking? Get that thing off right now. He said, you know, you'll, you'll get too used to it. And your, your, your back will just after field, never come back and, 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 you know, you'll never, you won't wrestle if you don't fucking take that thing off. And Flair said he, he immediately just like took it off and fucking didn't look back. You know, so um, that was some good advice. You know, he because right there he went against doctor's orders too. He went, he went, what, you know, I don't know what George Scott knew except for that his muscles were going to not recover properly if that brace on. You know, yeah. And um, so he took his brace off. The thing is like four or six weeks afterwards, and like you said, eight months later, man, he came back and um, uh, what he started off. Uh, Inter interfering in some matches, I think. Uh, we talked about that before he started a program for Wahoo. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, we talked the, about last week. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because I guess within a year and a half, his his uh, feud with Wahoo kicked back in. And right. So, yeah, right. they got a little time to warm him back up. Because I'm, sure, I'm sure, you know, he, you can't just throw a guy in that shape right back into the ring. you got to give him right. some, 
some walking around time and, you know. But, um, you know, Flair was a 300-pound power brawler going into oh, that flight. And he came out as a slimmed-down, more technical, uh, you know, uh, well, a technical wrestler, basically. I mean, he, he still had some filthy moves, but yeah, know, his style was very much different at that point. Absolutely. Um, and you brought up the fact, if you remember, Austin Idol, same situation. He was a big muscular body, uh, powerlifting build, yep. uh, and that, that plane wreck was the same year as you brought up last week's episode. But, um, yeah, Flair, you know, just took his weight off and, and got down to, like, that, that really nice physique that he had. He kept for years, you know. But, yeah, he started back after that plane crash um, uh, in 76. Uh, he was going out to the ring, uh, and then they picked back up with uh, the Wahoo. Um, I think he ended up wrestling and beating him. If my notes were right, we're on January 31st of 1976. Well, a little bit over, not quite, a little bit over, yeah, right at a year, I guess, year and a half later, like you said, 18 months there, um, he was back into the full swing of things. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty damn impressive, man, for someone to survive that. And also they say, you know, um, he'd never, you know, never wrestle again. He he proved him wrong. He's 71 and a half years old now. Um, I just saw him on the other day. Um, on this uh, deal with, uh, that Kevin Hart does, I was telling you about beforehand, there's a little comedy spit of, uh, uh, that he does. It's uh, something, uh, dropping, what I tell you, dropping balls or something. Uh, oh, Freezing, coldest balls. Coldest balls, and, yeah, okay. Yeah, they're sitting in the ice, uh, <laughs> like at a, at a stadium, and uh, big old, like you see the NFL players, some of the major league players sitting in those big old ice tubs full of uh, uh, recovering after a game. And Flair gets all the way fucking down in it, man. And um, they have a pretty little conversation there. And it's just pretty cool um, that he's talking about being 71 and, and some of the shit he's done. And, and he, uh, you know, just uh, Kevin Hart sells for him, of course. And pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. Just something yeah. funny to watch. Again, it's called Cold as Balls. I'm curious. Someone will... And, of course, when I come across that, Jeremy, just throwing it out there, we're just kind of going off the cuff on this one here. The or drip because he, he got out of the tub and you know he's dripping of course but he's doing his strut and woo and all that but also those were like the next videos playing where where he was in some of the rap songs you know yeah and, um, videos and why he's so over with the rappers i think you wanted to say something about that um well there's yeah it's um i had come across this and of course i'd heard heard about the song rick flair drip and right. i'm not i'm not a big rap guy i kind of keep some tabs musically on what's going on but i typically don't don't really know what's going on but yeah how many times i came across different stories just over time about how rap guys love rick flair because you know he lived the life that all of them are kind of like putting forward in their songs you know the fucking well you know Jet yeah. plane riding, you know, limousine, or limousine riding, jet plane flying, wheeling, yeah. dealing, kiss stealing, son of a guns. And, you know, Ric Flair, when he was living the high life, fucking spilt more booze in a year than most people could afford to buy in a, in, in a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. You know. Woo! Jet yeah. flying, limousine riding, yeah. You know what's funny, yeah, Bobby? I, with I, the bling. Yeah, you know. I got, oh yeah, the Rolexes. You know, he and Shawn Michaels got matching Rolexes for their uh, retirement match that they did. Uh, they, okay. they went out and got okay. matching Rolexes. I just I thought that was like one of the funniest things I'd ever heard. <clears throat> but, you know, okay, yeah. so I've been reading up on Flair and like some of his stuff. And, of course, Ric Flair is synonymous with one alcoholic beverage, and that's the Kamikaze, right? And yeah, I you like that Kamikaze, the 
Miller Lights does yeah. these two things. And beer of choice and kamikazes. Now, normally when I hear about people who with, uh, you know, expensive tastes and booze, it's always like, a, you know, fucking 30-year-olds this and high-end bourbons that are 150 bucks a sh- And fucking Flair's drinking Miller Light and kamikazes. <laughs> You know, if yeah. I was JJ, I would have been like, nah, we can't afford for you to be seen drinking that shit right there. <laughs> well, you know what I did last Sunday? And again, I think it was Wednesday, dude. I went, No, it was Tuesday. I went out and got me some Miller High Life. I thought, that's Ooh, the champagne of beers. That is, yeah. You know, but I was celebrating being out of the hospital. This time last year, I had been in a hospital. Oh, yeah. And I, so, yeah, for that week there. And, um and I was a nervous wreck. Honestly, I thought, man, what if this thing comes back, you know? And I was like, <laughs> and so um, when I, so in order to date the 16th, 17th, let's see, 15th, so yeah, maybe again Friday, I don't know. Well, one day, I know I got them last Sunday. I was like, fuck, this time last year after we was up there, I was like, I'm drinking this Miller High Life, man. Uh, and I'm a natural light guy. I'm looking at a fucking uh, taste rate, less filling light, a fine Pilsner beer right now, a, a mirror I have in my little room here. Uh, just this cold beer that came out of a bar in Baltimore back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, my uncle had given it to me. But, yeah, Flair drinking a Cosmokazis and buying them by the tray full. Like you said, probably uh, spilt more uh, liquor than some people <laughs> spend, spend on, you know, their their drink, you know. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. So there's, again, the Ric Flair drip, the, uh, the dropping the drinks. Yep. <laughs> and uh, seeing a nature boy, I see, this was in Fort Myers, Florida when I first started WCW. And, uh, of course, I was, I was thinking I've met him several times, different times throughout my career. But uh, going home from a show one day, um, and there's the nature boy, if, uh, the bishop. And you know who the bishop is, don't you? Oh, you can tell I'm the fans up here. Well, so the bishop is uh, little Ric Flair's uh, nickname. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So he's out on the side of the road by the limo, the Miller Lite in one hand and a Bishop in the other hand, and honking as people are honking going by. I was one of my honk too. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure some of the, the boys were in the cars in front of me. Like I said, we just had left the building maybe 45 minutes to an hour down the road in between Fort Myers and Tampa, or, you know, somewhere like that. And he's out there, you know, just uh, letting it swing in the air there, if you will. Mm-hmm. And he was known for that, of course. Oh yeah, well. Come- like you know, if anybody who's listened to or listens to Tony Schiavone's podcast or did, um, you know, it, it, Ric Flair's dick comes up about every fifth story. <laughs> it's, you know, yeah. just constantly yeah. like, oh, yeah, it looks like a baby's arm holding an apple, uh, you know. Oh, shit. And I guess he, uh, he named that the bishop way back when he was at the, uh, uh, when he got sent off to the private school, you know, so I guess at a young age, like a 14 or 15, he had a, he had the, uh, like you said, the old skin rabbit out there, if you will, <laughs> and called it the bishop. And then he also talked about how, you know, he, um, of course this wouldn't fly nowadays, but, um, I guess his first wife, he, he was, he'd walk around and, and uh, rub it up against uh, some of her girlfriend's uh, shoulders and stuff at different times, depending on how much he had consumed. And I guess certain uh, white uh, uh, stewardesses, I guess, in the air have seen it and, you know, things like that that you get uh, get in big trouble for nowadays, I oh, guess, if you yeah. pull your dick in, air, in, a, in a plane, you know, yeah. back to the airplane. Well, you know that that so, what they call that plane ride from hell. He was running around, yeah. nothing else but his robe on, and just letting his <laughs> dick, you know, letting his dick fly free 
and you know, yeah. chasing down stewardesses and shit. Guy'd be in, guy'd be in jail now, you know. Fuck. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Um, for I do want to do want to cover real quick that it was after the plane wreck and he slimmed down. He, this is when he adopted the Nature Boy as his gimmick, and um, Buddy Rogers actually did a program with him and put him over so he could take the mantle going forward. <clears throat> and I discovered. Because I was trying to figure out where the term Nature Boy came from, and it actually doesn't mean anything. They were trying to get something that seemed Tarzanish for Buddy Rogers, and that's what they came up with. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure. It seemed like I'd heard something that it might have been something related to the Tarzan things, but then again, it was really nothing. Um, I will say this. One of the funniest things I've seen. Um, <laughs> uh, bless his heart, he's dead now, but the Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Well, when I was in WCW, he came to close to my hometown and put on a was on a on a show, right? And Ric Flair had uh, just turned fifty, so this is you know twenty twenty one years ago or so. Uh, and of course, uh, Buddy gets the microphone, he puts me over. WCW signed me a little thing to let me for the local promoter I knew here, let me go to the show to do an autograph session because I was with them and you have to get that approval. Yeah, Nature Boy first puts. Buddy puts me over. He says, man, right there, you know, hometown hero. Really puts me over good. But he, gets, he goes, and now to something more serious. <laughs> and, and he says, um, uh, there's three things in order to be a nature boy. And he said, um, um, he said something. Other. He goes, but I'll tell you, uh, and he, I think I don't know how old Buddy was at the time, but he said, basically, um, a, a real nature boy like myself uh, shouldn't have to wear a bra, you know, and he, he buried Flair there. And he goes, and he should be under 50 years old. And he buried Flair there, you know, and he said something else about being a real nature boy and uh, got heat, of course, to what he's trying to do. Well, yeah, uh, he wasn't, you know, just just working the mic, you know, just kind of kind of pretty funny because, uh, you know, Flair really wasn't there to defend himself or anything and and was, you know, on, on top uh, in WCW. Uh, speaking of which, when he was 50, I, I told you uh he told Goldberg when he was wrestling, um, this was going around a locker room then again around the same time. Uh, so Goldberg picks him up for the uh, jackhammer. You know, I guess he's going to, you know, do the big jackhammer suplex. And on the way up, Flair says, uh, just remember two things, brother. He goes, I'm 50 years old and I love you. <laughs> he was saying that on the way down, you know. Oh. So he's putting Goldberg over even on the way down, you know. But uh, uh, yeah, you get snapped up like that and big bump like that, you know. Uh, 50 years old, I wouldn't want to be taking it at 50. Oh, Hell, no. you know, I, don't, I took I took it at 35 and that was enough for me. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, um, you know so. me and me and Micah uh, were talking last night because I watched my grandson. And then Micah came over and spent mm -hmm. the night when he got done at work. And we were talking last night about some of the just harshest things because he was telling me about when we lived in uh, a town above Santa Cruz. Him and his friend found this homemade wrestling ring by a barn. It was like hay mm -hmm. bales with corner posts and ropes. Okay, so mm -hmm. Micah wisely decides to climb on top of the barn. He's probably twelve, thirteen at the time. <laughs> climb on top of the barn and fly off and do a leg drop. Oh God. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? He goes, oh, no. He goes, you know, he's, I literally felt my head go between my shoulders. It's just my whole yeah. spine compressed. Ugh. I'm like, no shit. I, then I told him, I said, you know, there's a video clip out there of Mikey Whiprat giving uh, Bobby a, um, a stunner off the ropes. And then when I saw that, I looked at it and I thought, shit, how many teeth did Bobby lose? And yeah. how, how long was it before Mikey could walk again? <laughs> God damn. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think he commented on that too. No, I did. Yeah, because yeah, I saw that. And I was just like, fine, you know. Oh God, yeah. I saw that. I, Bobby, I, I was just like, my God, because you know I'm pushing fifty, and I think about just falling on my ass. I'd be out for a day or two, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I see yeah. you guys doing all that. I was just like, Jesus Christ, yeah. you know, no wonder Hulk Hogan he was a has good back opponent. surgery. I wish I could have. Oh yeah, dropping that leg drop. Oh you know, yeah. All those years. Think about that. 300, 320 pounds coming down every night. You know, at least five nights a week, if not more. And uh, sometimes twice in a match, uh, very rarely twice, but still sometimes twice in a match. Uh, that's that fucking compressed his spine big time. I'm sure, man. Um, anyway, let's move on here. Let's just jump back here to flair. You brought up family issues. Um, yes. uh, on here. Uh, there was one I wasn't aware of, but, um, um, I knew this one, uh, Dusty's cousin. Do you remember why you sent that one on, on the notes here when we first um, broke in? Do you remember what his name was going his, to be? Or his, he wanted to be? Well, who he was, it just didn't catch on, yeah. was Ramblin' yeah. Ricky Rude. Or, I'm sorry, Ramblin' Ricky oh, Rhodes. Yeah. Yep. And um, sure he was did. Dusty Rhodes' cousin, quote-unquote. Yep. And that didn't really take off. Uh, so... I don't know if, if this next one was Rip Hawk's nephew, but I don't know if that was before or after the Dusty thing. Yeah, see, I'm thinking that would have been after because he would have came into uh, NWA at that point. But I don't recall that. But I do know the one that did catch on, of course, he was one of the Andersons, Arn Anderson's cousin. He was he was a part of the Anderson family, if you will, being from Minnesota to yeah. that Minnesota record. Um, yeah, I would say the Rip Hawks deal uh, took place uh, pr- probably prior to the plane crash uh, when he was doing matches with uh, uh, Rip Hawks, Weed Hanson, because he was one of them big guys, like you said, he's mm-hmm. 300 pounds at that time. Oh, he's almost unrecognizable when you see a photograph mm-hmm. of him at that weight yeah, range. And, well, wow. he was working out with uh, Patera, too, in the yeah. weight room at one time. Uh, before he went down to the Carolinas, he had that big, you know, strong muscular physique. And in his book even says um, uh, he hadn't done steroids, okay, when he was working out Patera. Um, up to this, I th- he mentioned like three times in his life he had done them. And the first time he had done them, uh, he was eating two to five Whoppers a day and one to two gallons of milk a day, because that's what Patera was doing. But he noticed that Patera was getting bigger and stronger and still was retaining his muscularity. And that was kind of his first introduction. He said he was just getting bloated and fatter, Mm -hmm. eating that kind of stuff. They were roommates, you know, and he said, uh, and, of course, drinking probably Miller Lite. But uh, anyway, he said um, uh, he was just getting bigger and bloated and fatter, and that was when Patera, um, I guess, was, you know, not to put the heat on Patera, but one of the people that introduced him to steroids back then. And he mentioned three different times he used them, and I think it was like 70, uh, I don't know, 74, 75 maybe. And then again after the plane crash in 76 and 78, he mentioned using uh, something. Um, and he just gave a little briefing of it, you know, as far as, um, you know, he didn't he didn't put uh, steroid abuse down or anything like that. He just he just said that he had used them a few times throughout his career at that point um, when that book came out. So anyway. Yeah, but it's just a very yeah, different like look. Big, like, and, yeah. you know, another thing I, I always I need to address this, and I know it's common knowledge, but it's still one of those things. We forget or sometimes it's not brought up that he was a Minneapolis guy and a Ganya guy originally. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, we talked about that class <clears throat> uh, that was all trading together back in the day. Uh, yeah. Him and Tara and, and uh, uh, Greg Ganya and all them guys, Sheiky Baby and all of them in that class. You're right. Yeah. Uh, okay, where do you want to jump to next, brother? Let's see here. Well, um, let's talk about let's talk about his titles real quick, okay? 
Okay, well, being a professor, I know you know about his titles. Yeah. I know you know there's 16-time world champion, right? 16-time. Let me emphasize that, Jeremy. Well, I, I so, broke out my abacus last night, and I came up with 18. 18-time world champion. Okay. Now, here we may differ. I went with just this. Uh, I had heard, some say, 21, 25, 16. I hadn't heard 18. I'm going to let you back that up. I do want to point out two Two titles that I times that he wanted I wanted to bring up, and one was the first title he won on September 17th. This NWA World Heavyweight Titles, uh, September 17th, 1981, when he went over on Dusty. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that took place in Kansas City, if I'm not mistaken. And then the second time he won it, we talked about it last week, was in uh, uh, Starcade, uh, November 24th, 1983, over Harley Race, and Gene Kaniski was a special referee. I just wanted to mention those two to get us started. Uh, and I'm sticking to the 16. And then please tell me why you're going with the 18 oh, yeah. and also uh, we talked about some phantom changes too. Just maybe mention that to the fans in case. Sure, they sure. And, and, and Bobby, it's, you know, if you want to say there was only 16 title reigns, you can be wrong if you want to. It, it's not, you know, it's know. not a thing, you know, but not a big deal. Um, I but might when, not always be right, but I'm never wrong. Exactly. That? Exactly. <laughs> uh, so when it comes to world title reigns, here, mm-hmm. here's what I've got. I've got seven-time NWA champion, seven-time WCW champion, so 14, two-time WWF champion, there's your 16. Yes, sir. And then two-time WCW international heavyweight world champion. Um, Now, I can see where somebody might want to quibble over that one. Oh, that was a bullshit title, blah, blah, blah. Well, it was the replacement title for the NWA world title in WCW when they left. So it actually carries the lineage of the NWA title at that point until it's unified with the WCW title. So that's two legitimate wins. Now, there are a number of phantom changes and one-night-onlys and then win-backs that we don't need to get into because there's like Carlos Colon. Was it a Noki or somebody had one in there as well? There was a title change in Korea that was like Mm -hmm. a one-time and then done, reversed the next day. There's a bunch of those, and I'm sure that's how you get to... One over New Zealand. Yeah, and I'm sure those are how you get to 25. But by my math... you're right, right. Yeah, by my math, according to my abacus right here, we're we're at 18. Okay, well, see, I did one knot, and then one knot equals two knots, and two knots... uh, you know, times seven knots equals 14, and then two knot after that equals 16. So I was doing the knot system, you know. Oh, you were using you, Abacus. You were using I the, was using Jethro. I was going to say you're using the Jethro Bodine method. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. One knot and one knot, yeah. Of course, I'm a double agent secret spy international playboy, too. Uh, that's why I slept with over 10,000 women, and I can add seven and seven and two and still get 16. Um, because you know, ten thousand women—that's at least four or five a day that the Nature Boy had, right? Uh, yeah, uh, no, Wilt Chamberlain at uh, twenty thousand, Warren Beatty at fifteen thousand, but another great coxman, the Nature Boy Rick Flair at ten thousand. Do you, you believe that? Um, I I, I bet I the numbers. Great coxman is at ten thousand. Yeah, well, let's say like okay, let's say he's on the road two hundred and eighty days a year. Okay. Right about when you think, okay. 
So let's say 280 Wait days. Wait a minute. A you just now asked me to fucking add 7 and 7 and 2 and get 16 and add your other two in there to get 18 doing an off system. Now you're talking about fucking adding 280 days a year yeah. uh, times five women a day or three, a minimum of three, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and one in the evening time. Yep. I don't know. Now, does he count the same girl twice if it was at two different times a day? No, no, no. What no. do your numbers this do if it's a threesome? But you only actually bang one of them. Is that one or two? Ooh, uh, I guess you could say I fucked them up. I'd count it. I'd count it as two. Yeah, I'd count it as two. Probably. Yeah, I would not have been in that yeah, situation. It's still a threesome, right? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we got 280 days a year. How many years did Ric Flair? How many years was Ric Flair on the road? Do you think? Oh fuck! Easily, what we say say 76 on from there. Take it even from there. Just 76 through. Uh, ninety six is twenty. Did he? He did the match with um, Sean. That was two thousand six, uh, right? Yeah. So there's thirty. Yeah, thirty five years probably. Okay, thirty five. Yeah, thirty thirty five. Say thirty five. Okay, so even at okay at thirty five years at two hundred and eighty days a year, that alone gets you to ninety eight hundred. There you go. Yeah. So yeah, ten thousand. How many days back in W in W in WA though? Uh, they were on the road over 300 days a year. So you, yep. you do that, you know, you got to levy it out a little bit with early on, he was gone, you know, three, three fifty, And then later on uh, with WWF there towards the latter part of it, you know, you drop that down to say to two, two fifty maybe or what have you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So totally, so, totally doable. That's yeah. good. 10,000 totally doable. Yeah. And, and not even like uh, that's just one a day and Ric Flair, the way he spent money picking up a, a chick at a bar <laughs> is not going to be that hard. Cause if they're in there the first place, they're either a ring rat or they're like, they're there for a sales conference. So oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're lining up, man. Yeah. They're lining up the hotel door, you know? So, um, I understand he has some quality babes too. So wasn't just any, any, uh, you know, average rat. He's yeah. got some, he's got some prime grade a there, you know, but yeah, we'll go up the 18 time world champion there. Uh, just so we're not disputing it here, uh, which next we should talk about since, uh, he, um, you brought this up earlier about the, uh, the Rolex watch and stuff, you know, he's styling and profiling baby. And it's hard to keep these $600, you know, you know, gator shoes to the ground. You know, he's always, he, he, one time he told you, so, uh, I love the one we he'd get in the ring on, on the old TV, uh, that you could, uh, from very rarely when he walked, when he talked on the, um, uh, uh, on TBS, when he actually had a, a TV match on there, you could hear him in the ring mm-hmm. and he'd say, sit down fat boy. Yeah. He said, <laughs> he, he said to sit down fat boy. And once we got he said, he said, my shoes, Cost more than your house, fat boy. <laughs> yeah. And it's paying the audience to be some heavy set guy. And then they have a good looking chick beside him, too. You knew it had to be his fucking sister. You was hoping, you know, because Flair was going to bang her one way or the other. Uh, there's that picture, that meme is going around, you know, it's Rick Flair on the phone in the hotel room says, No, you cannot talk to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, From 18 to 28, 
No boyfriends, no husbands. We'll be at the Marriott in Baltimore tonight, room 213 or whatever it was, man. He just put it out there where they're going to be at. And then people show up, you know. He just told Kevin Hart the other day, you know, 18 to 28 at the Philly Marriott. You know, he just uh, killed him, man. You know, he'd bring him up here. But that brings us to, he had the Rolex. He had the clothes. He was living the, the style, even though, what'd you say? It wasn't really anything. The nature boy was delivering. Uh, leading that life, man, he lived the. He was Ric Flair in and out of the ring. Yeah, uh, tune it up a little bit in the ring and 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 keep it where he's at outside the ring. I mean, that's just the way he was. Oh you yeah. Know? Well, listen, uh, I came across a number somewhere. They didn't say what year, but there was a year where he out of pocket sixty thousand dollars on limos alone for him and the rest of the horsemen. Out woo. of po- out of pocket. So, yeah. You know, I you know I, I imagine you can write some of that off, but not all of it. But yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean that's that's a shit ton of money just throwing that. Now then you look at what he, I bet you his average bar tab must have been even back then fifteen hundred bucks a night easily, easily. Oh. You know because like, you, you know you yeah, figure probably. you're buying trays of booze a go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he did. He he bought a trays. Uh, Jim Ross talks about being uh, like fifty shots and two two. Uh, waitresses bringing them out at a time, like a hundred shots at a time, you know, for the, for the little club they was at, like somewhere in St. Louis or Kansas city or wherever. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, JJ was talking about, um, uh, they was doing out West there, Phoenix and, uh, Denver and some of those towns, but, uh, in, in, in Vegas. So it was out there in that area, but they was going back, they was flying back to Vegas every night and they was staying on a top floor. And he said Flair had four and five women in the in the room every night. And he even told Kevin Hart the other day, he very seldom had to, but he did not for himself, but for the crew, he did pay for some hookers and strippers and things to show up to make the party a little more lively. Well, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think you do count. Um, yeah, you do count the, the twosomes and, you know, I mean, the threesomes and the foursomes and the moresomes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. To get to that number. Because he's living, he's living a large, he's larger than life figure, man. We know that. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you look, he had custom so, shoes on. Uh, mm-hmm. Usually had a new, a brand new watch when you saw him. I think I only, when you go back and look, I think you only see him wear the same watch like maybe three, four times. Um, but, I mean, dude is just, you know, layered in it. Now, Here's where I get confused, though, because we talk about custom suits, and then dude's wearing Sansa belt pants half the time you see him. And those were 30 bucks a pair, you know? Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe he's just um, going to go in there and rip them off right away anyway. You no, know that's what I figure. So, he, he's trying yeah. to not slow himself down, I assume. Yeah. But yeah. I just I, I just thought that was weird, like the Sansa belts. Just like, what a very 1970s lounge act fucking pair of pants you got there. <laughs> Now, here's something I came across, yeah. Bobby, and, and I'm going to need people to educate me on this one because I didn't look into it any further than just finding the reference. Apparently, when Ric Flair mm-hmm. wore red trunks, he lost more than he won. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I wasn't sure about that. Um, I don't know for sure. Um he had so many different outfits anyway with the mm-hmm. robes. Uh, back up there to the robes, we, we need to bring up. Uh, we brought this up way back when, on um, when Tex was still around with us. Uh, Olivia uh, Walker, correct? Yes. Um, uh, Johnny Walker, Mr. Wrestling 2, his wife, right? Is that who it was um, that made those robes for him? I'm pretty sure that's who it was, yeah. Because we, we, we was doing some unsung heroes, 
uh, I think that's on our YouTube page on um, YouTube channel over at uh, tinyrl.com slash BBBB video, or it's just bell to bell blaze on there. They're still uh, they're still up, the ones that text done. And I know Jeremy and I are in a process of possibly working on a new one. But I think we've done the Unsung Heroes, and we, we brought up several people from behind the scenes. We brought up uh, uh, Olivia Walker um, as one of them because she was such a seamstress, and she made all Rick Robes' uh, uh, robes for him. So um, anyway, just that just came to mind when you was talking about oh, the yeah. robes and the clothes. Well, and the uh, robes. Those, those, and he say, paid people like George uh, George South. He paid him like you know a hundred hundred fifty dollars just to carry the robes and make the make sure they got to the next building, you know. Um, so he's doing that stuff, you know. I'm sure he was a big tipper too. I'm sure he you know gave tips. Uh, I know he put over. He paid the under talent one day he did with TV. I know no he paid them extra too, out of out of pocket, you know. Yeah. Uh, guys to make them look good and that. That's just good business to me. That's the karma part, you know, right there. That's that's good for business there. Well, Here, he, here's yeah, extra hundred for making me look good, you know. Yeah, you take but care of the did people. Did he really who, wear? I'm sorry. No, I was just say take care of the people who make the rest of everything go well, you know. Absolutely, yeah. for sure. So the question this week will be this: Did he really lose more matches when he wore red? I do not know that answer. Yeah, if somebody um, if somebody has some info on that, let me know because. Um, I found that interesting. I just didn't take any further time to really look into it. I just came across it as a reference here and there. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah sure. So, uh, well, hold on. I, I got to tell this story real quick here just because it popped into my mind because you could probably change it and make it about flair. But uh, Frank Sinatra liked to tip everybody 100 bucks for everything. You know, you, you brought his car around, you got 100 bucks, right? <laughs> you brought him, brought him drinks, you got 100 bucks. Mm-hmm. So one night uh, they're leaving the... Cal Neva, I think, is where they were leaving in Vegas. And uh, he asked the kid, uh, you know, bringing the car around, he's, hey, has anybody ever tipped you 100 bucks before? And the kid goes, well, why do you ask? He goes, well, I want to make sure that Frank Sinatra gives you the biggest tip you ever got. And he goes, well, yeah. He goes, I've been tipped 100 bucks before. So fucking Frank hands him 200 bucks. And he goes, hey, kid, let me ask you, who was it that tipped you the $100? He goes, it was you yesterday, Mr. Sinatra. <laughs> Yeah, there you go, man. Uh, that's the shoot right there, yep. I guarantee it. Yeah. You, yeah, Flair oh, yeah. probably did the same thing, you know. Oh, I'm sure it happened, yeah. Um, so, Bobby, I guess I guess those robes ran five to ten grand. Is that is that right? Is that Oh, Jesus Christ. That sounds about right. I think he had one that was a $20,000 robe, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if he had more than one, but, but I know he had at least one, according to his book, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on this book, to be honest with you. Yeah, I had it in paperback, and I looked on my shelf. I apparently loaned it to someone, didn't get it back, uh, and it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. Or it's in a box somewhere. But anyway, um, it was his first book that he came out with, maybe in around 2006 or so. I don't honestly, I can't remember. But I think he had a twenty thousand dollar robe in there somewhere, Jeremy. Wow, I'm sure. that's so. Uh, yeah, and uh, we had his mic work, man. He just had the smoothness of his mic works. Uh, where I don't think he was so much. Um, the interviews as he just come out and cut promos. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he, yeah. Like this little thing I saw off Kevin Hart, and I'm sure there's other things. I saw another one on there uh, uh, on uh, his recovery uh, with the recent health scare. He he done um, uh, Atlanta today. There's like three or four outtakes where he's been in Atlanta uh, on the local news there as a as a spotlight to the show uh, Southern Living or whatever it is. You know where he lives in Atlanta. 
and um, we're sit down, we're an interview type thing, like, you know, how you doing, how's your health, what's going on, you know, blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, throughout his wrestling career, because this is kind of, it's kind of post, you know, that's kind of more recent here in the last couple of years. But uh, he'd done the promos, man. They just held the microphone out there, it'd be a Gordon or whoever, and uh, um, and he'd done the rest, you know, he'd done the rest. Yeah. And, you know, when he was younger, I definitely liked his more, his more drawn in. Like his more like calm, but you can tell he's getting ready to whip your ass before he started yeah. getting into the flinging his jacket on the ground and fucking acting yeah. all goofy and over the top. Because as you he can got, see him building up for that though, yeah, oh, absolutely, you could. But as he got older, he got I don't know, he got a little closer to look like he was going to have a heart attack every time there's a microphone around him, and it just <laughs> it wasn't as compelling as when he'd draw in a little bit and he'd you know very strong voice, but very. Very smooth, very even, very, you know, I'm going to, and then, mm-hmm. you know, then he'd look at the crowd if, you know, shut up fat boy, or I'm going to fuck your mom, yeah. you know, yeah. stuff yeah. like that. But yeah. And then he just, he had so many catchphrases that were just like fun and cool ones in and out of the ring too. Like now we oh, go yeah. to school, like right before the figure four, <laughs> um, just yeah. all that stuff he'd do, you know, then also kind of a lost talent. Cause you see guys now when they start talking about their opponents and they call them bitches and cowards and blah, 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 blah. But back in these days, you know, you got you got a guy like yeah. Ric Flair out there. He'd be like, hey, Dusty Rhodes, you're a great wrestler. You know, there's you can beat everybody here in the ring with except me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, you're yeah, great. I watched, um, yeah. I watched one of him and Piper going out, actually, and they, they went back and forth. And, and he was doing an escape. He was doing, he was doing in-ring wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's up there on YouTube for you to you know, for our fans to listen or go watch rather. But yeah, he, he's putting Piper over, you know, before, the, before their buildup for a match, you know, it's just one of those things that, uh, like you said, instead of tearing them guys, tearing the guy down, you know, you build them up. Um, that way, when you do win, you beat someone Yeah. and, and you put on here, you know, putting over it, putting his opponents over and that's, uh, and it, he he done that. He was good at, you know, if he's going to wrestle someone, he, he he come on there, you know, he'd make the TV guys look good. You know, it was well known that he would do that with like, you know, he'd come in George South or wherever he, uh, Brad, you know, whoever, whoever it was, uh, they're making him look good. But um, he, he's not over there burying them guys on TV. But he's also, because uh, that's just a TV match, he's not burying who he's coming up in the Omni this coming, you know, Sunday. He's not burying that, that opponent. He, he's yeah. building them up. The, so, so when you see the match, win, lose, or draw, you, you know, he's, he's actually wrestled someone. And, and you know, uh, and also I've heard him say about this. I think you got this somewhere else on here. The um, the figure four lock, leg lock. You know, now we go to school. Yeah. Um, how many matches did he win with that? How many matches did he lose, you know, because of that? Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. I'm sure one of our fans do know that. Um, I had a question for you here on this next deal. Rick Flair, the Lucy Van Pelt of pro wrestling. I had a question mark with that. Um, I get, I know who Lucy Van Pelt is, but then you have Sting kept falling for it. So I'm like, is that one or two different things? Because I'm thinking like, is she pulling a football out from underneath Charlie Brown's uh, when he goes to punt it? Or what, what, what's okay. the reference for this Lucy Van Pelt of pro wrestling? I, you lost one. All right. So it was two or three different times that Rick Flair – 
for one reason or another, ended up, you know, lulling Sting into the Four Horsemen, only to then get turned on and beat the shit out of in a match or something like a tag match. And it was every time I saw that as a kid, all I could think of is like Lucy with the football and Charlie Brown taking a run at it and then her jerking it away. I thought that's what your reference was, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, because, I mean, it really. So, as I understand it, Ric Flair is the guy, like they said, oh, Lex Luger's the next big, next big thing. And then Ric Flair is like, except I think it should be this kid sting. Mm-hmm. And so he's the one who, who picked worked with and programmed sting to get him from, you know, what was essentially, uh, you know, Eddie's flunky, Eddie Gilbert's flunky to the superstar of WCW. Yeah. And yeah. now, unfortunately, one of the ways he did that was he gave, he gave the same sting as the stupidest son of a bitch in wrestling story three times in a row. <laughs> you know where you know i'm gonna i'm gonna stick this football out here but you're just gonna pull away no yeah. no no i'm not no i'm not it'll be okay I gotcha <laughs> yeah i saw them wrestle live um in huntington civic center um it was the main event was staying a flair and honestly uh they went about 20 25 minutes uh but i, I to this day i couldn't tell you who won to be honest with you mm-hmm. they just they put on a clinic you know what I'm saying flair was up there doing his thing uh, back in those days, used to block off half the um, the civic uh, center there. Uh, Charleston, they did they could sell it out usually, uh, but um, Huntington, smaller you know smaller town, more of a tri-state area. They, they I don't think other WWF eventually opened the entire civic center up, but NWA when they came, they would only open half of it up. At, at the first or second time they came, they probably sold it out, but the um, the uh, latter years, the when I'm latter year, I'm saying like 86, 87, 88. Uh, when they when they after they had been coming here for a while, they would do about half of that. You know, about yeah. maybe four thousand people, um, three to four thousand people, and block off half of it. But yeah, they um, used to see some good NWA shows coming in this area. Uh, but yeah, him and him and Sting to see them for the first time against each other live was really good. And it was exciting. Like I said, I saw into I, I couldn't tell you who went over and, and didn't care. It was just a hell of a good match, you know. And that's probably about 80, 85 or 86, I would imagine, when I saw that match. So, uh, but I, I saw that and you put that on there and it's funny. Well, I'm going to read this. We're moving on here. Um, I'm going to read this out because you love with these, the wording of things here. And I really appreciate that you put. Walked away from a second plane wreck. <laughs> yes. So uh, we kind of know about the, uh, if you don't know what we're talking about at home, uh, by saying walked away from a second plane wreck, the professor and I are kindly uh, take you through this. And that is the what error there, Jared, uh, uh, well, professor. I, I am specifically talking about the Jim Hurd era of WCW. Yes. Yes. Um, now, look, Ric Flair had to have been what 40 maybe 45 see, at, at the I oldest. know it was well let's see 98 he was 50 so go back about uh 88 he'd been 40 so he'd been like 42 about 43 yeah 42, 42 43 three. so older when he walked away yeah uh, so. older but younger than all the stars in the WWF now are um, but Jim Hurd felt that mm-hmm. Ric Flair was old-fashioned and too old, wanted him to cut his hair off, pierce his ear, and go by the name Spartacus. What yes. any, what, how any of those things go together, you fucking got me. Um, yeah. So they were going to put him I, in a Roman slave outfit or something. And yeah. <laughs> I got to stop yeah. myself. Go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say, apparently Kevin Sullivan said, yeah, let's just change Mickey Mantle number two or something like that. You know? Yeah. And Jim Hurd told him, he said, well, you don't know anything about the business. And like this fucking (laughs) judge said to tell Flair, you know, you're going to do this one like you to do, or I want you to do, you know, we're going to, a 1960 movie reference from, uh, you know, Kurt Douglas, I guess, you know, because he's an old bastard uh, going there. Uh, or Mike, is that, that's Kurt, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And then, uh, but then Kevin speaks up and he's, and he's still telling, like, you know, let's just change, we might as well change Mickey Mantle's number too, you know, and that's the reference. And he's telling him, you don't even think about the wrestling business. Well, you might know a lot about the pizza business, I don't know, but I think if you come down to it, Kevin Sullivan probably knows a thing or two about the wrestling business, you know. Uh, but, yeah, uh, that was just one of his great ideas. And, of course, if you want to hear someone uh, browbeat Jim Hurd, just listen to fucking Corny. Oh, yeah. Corny goes off on a guy all the damn time, man, you know. Oh, but, um, God damn. So uh, that brought him to a jump to the World, uh, wrestling, world wrestling Federation. Federation. Yeah. The uh, the current WWE and one thing I liked about this was what well, two things actually that I that I heard him say uh, Vince didn't even offer didn't offer contracts you know he's known for that but he just told him hey you'll make more money than you ever have here and it was a handshake deal and he did you know and uh, back at that time he said um, it was a great jump because he got to be managed by Bobby Heenan you know we've talked about greatest manager of all time, you know, right there, Bobby the Brain Heenan. But he also got to have a match with Hogan and, and uh, Savage and Brett um, that he never – at that point in the foreseeable future, he wasn't going to be able to have if he stayed there. Right. And also he got – that was on, you know, work program with those guys. And then he got to work house shows with The Undertaker. He said the only thing uh, disappointing about making that jump was when he was going – Arn and Tully were leaving, you know, during that same time. They had already come back. They was coming back to Atlanta. Um, you know, Arn stayed. Tully did his deal, you know. But uh, Flair, you know, made a big jump to the WWF as the real world heavyweight champion. I thought that was so cool, man. When he when he debuted on there, that was, that was pretty damn hot, man. I think I was in Canada working, uh, made my first tour up there in 91. Is that the year he jumped, 1991? Is that uh, right? You know what? I don't know for sure, but that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was up I was up for the summer of '91, and I'm I know he'd been up there. He might have been up there a little bit before. I'm just saying I I just recall that you know it was it was a big deal in the wrestling business, and that's you know a big big deal. So um, you know and I, I'm glad he did. Uh, well, I, there's there's a thing here that, that kind of cracks me up too. So Jim Hurd backs them into a corner, and they 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 hit at this point where they you know it's untenable. There's no going forward. Ric Flair is the world champion with this big, expensive goddamn belt. And back then, <clears throat> when you were champ, you put a bond down for the title belt. Yeah. Yes. So correct. Ric Flair had twenty five grand set down for this, and Jim Hurd refused to pay him. First off, that's uh, where the fuck do you get off not paying somebody back their own fucking money? But okay, right. so so Flair jumps with the title belt, and for a couple weeks there, you saw the NWA World Championship on WWF TV. Absolutely, that was it, man. That was the whole deal right there. That was uh, that was good. That was a good dig. You know, fuck mm-hmm. you. <laughs> you know, here you go. Yeah, that was a bond I think you put up. I. It, it, uh, Back in the day, you had to put up. I, I thought it was thirty thousand. I know it's twenty five. I wasn't sure what it was. I knew it was a high price. You had to put down for that belt. Yeah. Um, when you when you carried it around, your know, security or what have you. Uh, but yeah, Flair, man, you know, he, 
he just he's the man. That's you know that's one of his catchphrases to be the man. You know to you got to beat the man. You know and um, Kelly went up there and was having five star matches with people. Uh, uh, Bobby Heenan being his manager. I mean that that's fucking top talent right there, man. Uh, I'll tell you this, not, I, I'm not keep trying to put this thing over about Kevin Hart because it's, it, it's basically the interview is some ice water and it's co- kind of comedy, you know, of course. But uh, he asked Flair, uh, of course, Kevin Hart's good friend with The Rock. He asked Flair about it, what he thought about The Rock because uh, Flair really put The Rock over so, you know, he, he's um, – the entertainment part of uh, talent. He was thought he could sing and he could play musical instruments and this and that, let alone, you know, wrestle in, in promos and movie and stuff. And, and Kevin Hart's kind of varying. So I'm not giving the whole thing away just so you know, but, but uh, he, he said, but what would have happened if you two in your prime and Flair said in my prime, if there was a guy like the rock, uh, they couldn't have built buildings big enough to hold the crowds we would have drawn. And I, I can believe that. Yeah. Because, you know, he was doing sellouts back in the day. And then you look with the attitude there and the rock, you know, in that era. I mean, fuck. Uh, that, that, I don't know how great of a match it would have been, but I guarantee him to have been sold out every time and every place, you know. Um, I don't think it would have been a bad match at all. Not with Ric Flair out there, you know. Well, um, <clears throat> no. Said and, he make the prune stick look good. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, uh, the, the the thing about Ric Flair is they say that he could wrestle a broomstick in a, in a three-star match. But, of course, just putting Ric Flair in a match guarantees you three stars. So even if, oh, yeah. It, yeah, so even if it's almost a dud at that point, doesn't matter. Ric Flair will still do his fucking part. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, and... It's it's true. I mean, you watch him, especially like you know when you're a little more in the know and you know when to watch for them speaking in the ring and hey, here's what's coming next, and you understand that Flair is calling the match, and now you can yeah. kind of kind of pick your spots and kind of see. You well, get, he'll leave the match. He knows, yeah. you know, he knows when he's going to take his bumps and this and that and do what he knows what he wants to do. You know, he knows when to bring the crowd up, bring the crowd down. Yeah. So and he was good at it he was great at yeah um you know like we were talking last week like if you if you program the show why are the matches in this order you know rick yeah. flair did that in in the individual match you know okay we'll build up okay everybody yeah. take a fucking breath now okay here we go you know oh yeah yeah i had you know of all the people i got the pleasure of beating out you know i got to meet uh uh you know one of my all-time favorites when i when i met terry funk and, and mm-hmm. spoke with him and and got to see him, you know, for the couple of weeks he was in Smoky Mountain wrestling. Of course, I'd met Flair before that. I'd I'd, I'd been a fan of Ric Flair, you know, always a big fan of his. Um, I don't know. Some people might say arguably. I I don't say. I, I think he was the greatest NWA World Champion of all time. Um, that's just my opinion of uh, as far as the NWA title goes. He was the greatest champion. But um, I didn't get the rest of those two. And that's that's. Uh, there's no regrets or anything, nothing like that. But I wish I'd have got to have a match with Terry Funk at some point in my career, and I'd have loved to have a match. Um, I come close a couple of times just at those TVs, thinking, okay, we're in Disney or, or Universal. You know, your name can be up there if any guy. Um, and I was getting a bigger push in the worldwide. Uh, yeah. The uh, the Sunday uh, come out out here on Sunday nights worldwide showed anywhere at any time it was it was here in our local time was like ten o'clock on a Sunday night but anyway um, you know I'd, I'd get I was up there with some of the top guys on those programs and get a good good solid fifty fifty match you know it wasn't like a Saturday night TV 
um, even though those were some good matches, but the, uh, the matches for universal, um, you know, they were, they were worldwide. So they put two talented people together and very, very seldom did have a squash squash, you know, yeah. one at, um, uh, with, with where I was out on a card saying that I'd have loved to have been in the ring with Ric Flair though. And just, you know, just listen to me, kid, you know, and just go. Uh, Cause I'd have been there. I know, you know, I know the spots and I'd have been, you know, I'd have loved to have that pleasure. I, but I did speak to him, I, you know, several times. I told you about the, one of the first I met him was the night I, I met uh, Piper and was going to wrestle Piper. And um, Piper brought him into the um, back area there and, and he had an idea because uh, him and him and Piper was doing their feud up there in WWF and, it, and uh, they was doing a chair match and Piper said, you know, this chair is for flair, you know, and that, that and, um, he come in. He come in in the back, and uh, I did my little impersonation of uh, of the Nature Boy, you know, and uh, figured figured out, finished it up with the woo. And he goes, you know, that's pretty good, kid. But you know, Ric Flair, you know, put his head on my shoulder, and uh, then um, and I was just on TV then. But then at WCW, um, saw him many, many times at the, especially uh, on the Money Nitros, and that would be. 60 and 70 guys at those, Jeremy, mm-hmm. uh, being, a, being a back of any arena, uh, be it uh, uh, Knoxville or uh, San Bernardino or um, uh, at the uh, pay-per-view up in uh, uh, Detroit at the uh, Palace or wherever. And um, hell, they don't use, you know, 12 or 15 guys for the show. You know what I'm saying? But you'd have to go there, be there at a certain time. Um, and then, you know, your, your name more likely wasn't going to be on a board of Nitro unless, you know, um, but they had to have you there, you know, and you got paid for it. And then the next day was TV, of course. And, uh, he would come to some of the TVs on the Saturday nights, but not many of those at that point, uh, when I was there, but he was always real nice, very professional, of course. Um, always dressed, you know, to the nines that we discussed. Yep. I think I told you before, uh, I remember in Sarasota, Florida, it's the only time one of my buddies had lived in Tampa and I was meeting him at lunch. I, I stayed all night with him instead of getting a hotel, one of my old training partners. And, and, uh, we, I told him to come down to the building the next day. He knew, he knew several people. And I said, just talk to Arn or someone and, or Terry, you know, and, and he, I knew he knew Terry Taylor. Um, so anyway, I said, come down to the building, whatever later on, and, and we were in Sarasota, so we had lunch. I went down there, but Flair walks in, and it's the only time I ever saw him without um, a suit and tie on, you know what I'm saying, other than his wrestling gear, of course. But um, he had on the baggy pants and the the, um, the heavy sweatshirt and apparently just come in from the gym, you know what I'm saying? It was just uh, uh, don't know if he was running late because it was earlier in the day. I don't know if he was running early, just stopping by. I don't recall him wrestling on that. I know it was a TV, but um, – he he may have been down there just vacationing. I really don't know. You know what I'm saying? He may have been off for a couple weeks. Yeah. But uh, he did stop by the building. It was the only time I ever saw the man not dressed to the nines. You know what I'm saying? But, again, he's a very professional guy, um, and I'd love to have the opportunity to wrestle with him. Uh, but I did get to meet him, and that was a great pleasure. And here we are doing a show on him. Uh, he said, how many O's are in woo? He says he knows. How many do you think? Uh, I believe the trademark has three or four. He okay. said five. That's so five. Okay. Yeah. That's now, what he said. Five. I, I know it doesn't have an H. It's W O O O O O. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which I was shocked to find out that it doesn't have an H, but I was more shocked to find out that the fucking thing is trademarked to begin with. Um, that he owns okay. the trademark to that, <laughs> and he owns the trademark to the name The Man, which 
Caused, yeah, we caused, found out her out a couple years ago. Yeah, it caused a little problem uh, for Becky Lynch, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man, I tell you, we probably need to finish this up. I know we're going on and on and on about Flair here, but that was our man. Uh, I think we ought to finish with one more thing you asked me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Shawn Michaels match, he says, I'm going to answer a question here that you got. The Shawn Michaels match, okay, um, you see Shawn Michaels uh, mouth the words, you know, hell, he might have been yelling at that audience. I don't know, but yeah. he mouthed them, you know, I love you, and I'm sorry. Gives him a super kick. The question to me is, did he tarnish his legacy by hanging around too long? I'll tell you what I think. No. Okay. And he said, he said I don't believe this to be true, even though he said uh, on the most – that little uh, dry your cold balls off your coldest balls episode. He said that he was really proud of his match with Shawn Michaels at the age of 59. Uh, then you're telling me he's out here getting a Rolex watch to matches him. Um, then a couple of weeks ago when we started this territory, we said, he said that, you know, there's no doubt about it now that Shawn Michaels is the greatest, you know, <clears throat> word, whatever, uh, of all time in his, whatever. But, I don't think that was his greatest match by any means. I, but I don't think he overextended his time or tarnished his legacy uh, because he's so, so well known and over, like you said, these rappers that were young guys growing up wanting to do something with their life, and they they saw the bling with Flair, uh, the, the ladies, the limousines, you know, they saw his lifestyle. Uh, that brought them back into the fold. Uh, Vince picking them up and keeping them around, that – kept him in the fold you know now uh the the most proudest thing he can be proud of right now is is yeah at this point maybe just be charlotte's father you know what i'm saying that's he he can claim that legacy right there his daughter yeah is, is a great female wrestler you know and and um i'm gonna use the word performer she she's tremendous you know uh looks great wrestles great everything uh and why not jeans like that? You know what I'm saying? So I don't think he, I think if he tries to do anything else wrestling wise, which I think someone said he made an appearance on raw or something a couple weeks ago, just an appearance thing. Uh, I don't know if he needs to be doing any of that stuff. Uh, how, how about his that, time? How about his time at TNA? Yeah, that may have been too much right there. Okay. I give you, yeah, that, that wasn't, that wasn't a good, that wasn't a good place for him to be at. Um, and, and still trying to do some of those matches he was trying to do. Um, but, but I just don't, I think there's things that have happened like that, that at that, that point was tarnishing his reputation um, uh, by hanging on too long, or his legacy, as you put it. But I think overall, no, because of the um, the internet, you know, YouTube, and then like I said, Ben's keeping around, and now with his daughter out there, that just at least keeps the name Flair going, you know, um, but as far as with him, I think he's going to, you know, still do these little uh, appearances. I've seen him on just if you YouTube him on, like I said, with Kevin Hart, um, he just uh, done uh, uh, Stone Cold. He's been on that, you know, he's been on some popular podcasts. Uh, he had his own there for a while. So, you know, I think he's still, uh, to me, Ric Flair's still over. You know, I think, I don't think he's tarnished his reputation or his legacy in any way other than, like you said, there's been blotches here or there maybe, uh, but overall, no, that's my answer. Okay. I, I think that's fair. I think that's perfectly fair. Um, 
Let's see. Do I have anything else? No, I think. I mean, you know, of course, we should probably address real quick that when uh, when Ric Flair was born, his parents were actually told he died and he was stolen and sold to an orphanage. Um, and it was a huge, I believe it was in Tennessee, and it's a huge, huge story where they had been doing that for years and years and years. So they're not even 100% sure who his birth parents were. Um, I came across that a couple of years yeah. ago when reading about him, and I'm just, like, stunned because I didn't know that. Um, yeah, I knew he was adopted, but I didn't know it until just now when you was talking about part of a kidnapping adoption ring. <laughs> yeah, there was a whole thing in Tennessee where they, yeah. were, they would tell the parents that, oh, yeah, your kid's dead, sell it to this orphanage. And then adopt him out. So the the Flair yeah. family basically adopted a stolen Ric Flair, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was just like one of the craziest things I'd ever come across. And I actually meant to deal with it towards the top, but I didn't really. Was there anything else I yeah, wanted no, to hit? We, Yeah, no, uh, we got the Well, we talked about the man, Slick Rick, just player of the game, the Nate, 16-time world heavyweight champion, limousine riding, jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, son of a gun. Woo! But the professor says otherwise. 18, 18. Okay, just yeah. wanted you to get that in there, man. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I think we're about winding down here. I know we could go for, you know, NWA, you could go for all of you. got a list of all of his title belts, you know, who he had tag team belts with and, and this and that. But um, anyway, I don't know where we're going to go next week when this podcast we can stop the guests. I've got that on the back burner. Um, we had a couple other ideas on territories where we may go next. Uh, so I'm not going to give anything away because I don't know where we're going to go, but we're going to discuss it here in just a few minutes we get off the air. Mm-hmm. With that said, Jeremy, I want to sign off by just saying, man, you know, I'm glad that we have this podcast going this time last year, you know, just recovering from being in a hospital i'm thankful for my health and uh, i'm gonna try my best and i hope everyone out there that's listening to this podcast please please uh social distance yourself you know wash your hands and 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 wear your mask and uh please tell a friend about this podcast professor and i've been uh the numbers have been changing just a little bit and uh, we'd like you to please uh if you like this podcast go and leave us a review whether it be on itunes uh stitcher spotify um, or um, Anchor, uh, just please, you know, and then also just tell us, tell a friend about it, man. Share it on social media. Find Jeremy at the Geek Cast. Find me at Bobby Blaze 744 or find um, the uh, Bell, Bell Blaze on Twitter or on Facebook, and Jeremy takes care of those accounts, and I do see some activity over there on that. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, proud to be a pro wrestling fan, and I'm proud of this podcast, so share it, please. Thank you. Yeah, those were all great points. Please do. Uh, happy birthday, Betty White, once again. Um, if if uh, I, I get this question from time to time, if I were to share any podcasting or interview-specific uh, tips to anybody, here are my two things I would say. If you're doing an interview show, keep your mouth shut and your ears open, follow-up questions, and when you're editing your show, get rid of dead air. Uh, those are my main tips as far as where you host your show. I have no opinion. Um, so that is going to do it. So for the late text, Johnson, the early professor, Jeremy Vilmer, and the usually on time, Bobby blaze. Bye-bye everybody.